Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast, bringing you fun and soulful interviews with spiritual teachers with the aim of tuning you in and lighting you up with your host, George Lizos. Lightworker, as you know, I teach a lot about fairies and the elementals. I've co-created a new hands-on healing modality with fellow elemental teacher Kalista called Elemental Healing, which is all about partnering the wisdom of nature and working with various elementals to create healing and transformation in all areas of life. And by the way, if you want to learn more about that, we're relaunching the course this November 2019. So be sure to join the Elemental Communication Facebook group to get more details. In the past, I've also taught other courses on mermaids and unicorns. I've created elemental meditations, wrote about them in my book, 
and I bring them into all my mentoring and intuitive sessions. I simply love connecting with the elementals and I believe it's one of my primary purposes in this lifetime to help teach their messages into the world and help other people connect to them as well. But I wasn't always so attuned to the elementals. It all started 10 years ago when I got my hands on a book called Fairy Tale by Sigmy Pike, published by Hay House. It was a memoir of a girl quitting her full-time job to go out and search for the existence of fairies. Reading the book inspired me to go out on my own fairy adventure and 10 years later, here I am teaching about it. So it's really full circle for me getting to interview Sigmy Pike on my podcast to chat about fairy tale, but also about her new book, The Lost Queen, which is currently being made into a TV series. How exciting! So this episode is full of practical tips and guidance to deepening your connection with fairies, including what you can do and where you can go to actually see them with your physical eyes. It's one of the places I visited myself and I can tell you, you can see fairies so clearly there. We also discuss the importance of respecting Mother Earth and what we can do to best support her healing. It is such a beautiful and deep interview lightworker and I know you're going to love it, so enjoy. And I'm so excited to have here with me Signe Pike. Signe worked as an acquisitions editor at Random House and then Penguin before leaving to write her first book, Fairy Tale, One Woman's Search for Enchantment in a Modern World. Pike has spent the past 10 years researching and writing about Celtic history, myth, folklore, and tradition. Her love of history, the great outdoors, early medieval and ancient archaeology, and her dedication to historical accuracy has made her social media feeds an informative delight to her readers. Signe teaches seminars and workshops internationally on writing and publishing, as well as on folklore and tradition. Signe, welcome to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. And it's so great to have you here. Now, I gotta say I was quite nervous coming into this interview because you have been at the start of my fairy journey. Your book, Fairy Tale, came into my life as soon as it came out and it was at the start of, uh, of my spiritual path when I was just beginning to explore fairies and the elementals. And what appealed to me the most was your transformation from a skeptic to a fairy queen. And that really inspired me to go out there and explore the fairy kingdom and the elementals and, um, and take my own fairy tale, basically. So I just wanted to take this opportunity to just say thank you for being such a cornerstone in my spiritual path. Well, that is amazing to hear. Um, and that means a lot to me. So I'm glad you told me that. Um, I think that was one of the reasons that I wrote the book was that um, there was no middle way. I was raised as a skeptic, um, although, you know, like I write in fairy tale, raised on books like yeah. CS, by authors like C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and um, my father had this wonderful imagination and we would always play trolls under the bridge and all of this stuff. But, you know, at heart, um, I think he was always an atheist and, you know, we just weren't raised with that sort of, um, you know, once the Santa Claus myth fell away, the magic was gone. Yeah. And like I most really people. 
Yeah, I wanted to find a way to recapture that in a way that felt authentic to me. And I was hoping there were other people out there who were looking for the same yes. type of connection with the natural world, which is, I think, what we experience when we start our own journey um, investigating what we call fairies. Yes, definitely. And it was exactly that for me. I used it as like a, a map and a guideway to exploring different places. Now, I want to start from the beginning as well as to uh, specifically, what was it that encouraged you to leave the safety of a traditional job and just tell your publisher, I'm leaving and I'm going to go find the existence of fairies? What was it? What, what was that urge that you had? Well, it was loss. And I think that sometimes when we experience, for me, it was the death of my father. Sometimes when we experience something in life that really wrecks us, there's no other option anymore. You know, you, you just have to go. And so that's how it was for me. I think I was also an editor in a time period when that was the style of memoir. And it was, it was inspiring to see people like Liz Gilbert doing that. And mm. I had inspired by her journey um, being so brave and now I think we see 10 years later it's interesting to reflect because now we've got memoirs coming out like I Miss You When I Blink by my yeah. friend Laura Philpot and that is a memoir that you write without having to trash your life you know it's like what do you do when you're lost and you're searching but you don't want to have to quit your job and you know because a lot of people would write to me and say I'm glad you wrote fairy tale because I could experience it vicariously. Um, but not everybody's able to hop on a plane and not everybody's able to visit Glastonbury and all of the sites that I went to. So my aim was sort of wanting to ditch my own life and start over and find this enchantment and create, you know, a new life with that as the foundation. And also um, wanting to share that with other people so that um, if they couldn't go, they could still do it um, from their own backyard, even yeah, back then. Yeah. And in yeah. the book, you, you talk about the importance of magic and you do that as well in your latest novel, the trilogy, The Lost Queen. Now, why is magic important? Why is the belief in magic important or is it in your opinion? Um, well, firstly, I think it's important because I think that it's real. And I mm. like the term, um, the term magic is so fantastical. I like the term enchantment Yes. Even better, because I feel like enchantment is something that's more rooted in an everyday type of existence. When you hear the word magic, you think of the magician or the man behind the curtain or <laughs> wizards with wands. And I think that that is why so many people can't connect because they don't know how to make that's not real to them. Yeah. Um, so I think that that sense of enchantment. But what I think is so amazing is finding the truth, finding the real religion that lies beneath everything. Mm. Um, I wanted to find out the, the truth, the folkloric roots behind fairies and why they remem were remembered in the way that they were. And so to me, that's what um, enchantment was and is, is like, how do you enchant your daily existence by finding real life magic? What does that mean? I really like your blend of, uh, of historical facts with, um, with, with mythology and with fairies and the spirituality, all these intersections of the different um, areas you, you, uh, you tackle and you go in, both in fairy tale as well as the lost queen. I think it, it's, it's interesting that certain historical times in the world have had or have believed have included the existence of 
fairy queens and fairies and the elementals. Now, in the book, you talk a fairy tale. Uh, you take us through uh, different places around the world and your encounters with the fairies. Could you tell us what are some of your most poignant experiences with and encounters with the fairy world? Well, one that always comes to mind is a place that I know you and I share, which is Glastonbury, England. Yes. Um, uh. Because it's such an amazing place. And um, in the last decade that I've been researching and writing about the ancient Celts, um, I've learned a lot about the actual early medieval and almost the prehistory of that area, which is really fascinating too. And the archeological finds that they found on the tour and things like that. Mm the way that the Somerset levels used to flood is really fascinating. And still in the spring, if you get a big rain, um, it looks as though the tour is surrounded by fields of water, which is amazing. And you can see how it rose up the folklore of that place as being the, the land of the dead and Avalon and Isle of the Apples um, and all of that. Um, but in the, it was in Glastonbury's gardens, the Chalice Well, where I first saw these strange sparkling lights in the trees at night that I couldn't explain. And, they weren't fireflies and you know I talked to my friend who's an entomologist and that's not what it was and I've since experienced that same phenomenon in many places and I went home to be able to experience it for the first time in my own backyard and where I live now by the beach I see it sometimes um, and I still can't explain it but Glastonbury was the first place that I really experienced that mm. and always get this incredible sense of connection with something that's just beyond your knowledge when you see it. Oh my God, Glastonbury. I just love <laughs> Glastonbury. I, let me tell you, I discovered it by your book. So I didn't know it existed <laughs> before that. And then from the book, I'm like, I was, I remember the day as if it was yesterday, I was in the bus from Bristol. I was studying in Bristol, which is nearby uh, Glastonbury. I was on the bus going to Bristol and I had fairy tale in my hands. I'm like, okay, Let's read, where, where should I go? <laughs> so ever since I visited uh, Glastonbury like countless times, last time was early this, uh, this May. And again, I would always be drawn. Here's the interesting thing, Signe. Um, I've, I've always been guided to visit the Chaliswell Gardens. And even though I knew of the existence of the White Spring as well, which is right next to it, I was never, I could never find it. It's like the... The fairies just wanted me to keep visiting them at the, uh, the Charlie's World Gardens, and I wasn't ready to explore the deeper um, divine masculine energy of the White Spring. So it wasn't until like years later, like five years later after visiting every single year, that I was able to actually encounter the White Spring. But I was always been fascinated by the energy of the Charlie's World. What is it in European? What, what is it? that attracts so much magic, so much enchantment. What is it about those gardens? I mean, I think that it's a combination of things. I think it's the fact that that place has been sacred for so long mm. um, to so many different people um, of so many different faiths. And you find the same thing when you visit a really old mosque yes. or a really old Buddhist monastery. I think that that is that's a really interesting type of everyday enchantment is um, the way that a spiritual center feels different from other places because of all of the intention it's been given by people who, who visit. And it's something really interesting that I find about the chalice well, but it does feel to me 
distinctly feminine. There's something about yeah. it that does feel feminine and it's, it feels like a mother. And I actually wrote um, one of the scenes that I wrote in my historical novel, The Lost Queen, it was inspired by sitting by the chalice well. And I have my character, Langorith, go and she's sitting beside this pool that, that would have been in Glasgow, but now doesn't exist. It was a natural spring that's been covered up, um, maybe now runs underground. But um, back then it would have been a really sacred place. And I just looked, I, I sort of thought back to how I felt when I sat beside the chalice well and wrote that and shared that in, in a fictional setting. Um, but it's a very real feeling. You get this, this sort of a pulsing or this strange sense of peace and um, power too. Just like anything you need, you can draw from that place. And it, and it feeds so many people and yet there's always more. There's always more. I think it's because too, um, what, what helps that place stay the way it is, is the amazing staff at the Chalice Well Garden. Mm. That, um, they're sort of the gatekeepers and in a way they have to be very protective of you know, the technology that's allowed inside of the building when you stay at um, St. Michael's Inn and little, the Inn at Little St. Michael's and um, you know, not having technology in, in and around the well garden and closing the gates at night to give the garden a chance to heal and regenerate from all of those people coming in. On an, on an ecological standpoint, you know, just with all the foot traffic and stuff, but the animals and the plants getting a chance to rest. So I think that's also what keeps it special. Definitely. I've been there a couple of times during summer solstice and there, was, there were rules like don't use your phone too much and be quiet and all that, which was the, the, the stuff there helps create and, and preserve the sacred energy of the place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to the very basics. In your opinion, what are fairies and what is their purpose in interacting with humans? Mm. You know, that's a question, George, that I've been asking for over 10 years now. <laughs> and the answer is always evolving and the answer, the answer is always shifting. Um, I think I started writing fairy tale believing that um, fairies were these diminutive, small little creatures that you know, flew around flowers and were silly and mischievous. And what I came to realize quickly as I started to talk to people in Ireland um, and Scotland who really know of a more ancient type of fairy faith, um, you hear a lot that the word fairy is not really one that applies. Um, and I think that's because toward the end of the book, and especially now that I've been writing about the Britons, and the gales for so long. Um, really what happened was, was that it was a religion that worshiped the land um, and nature and that they were people who found divinity in nature. And to them, um, waterfalls and natural sites where water, pure fresh drinking water bubbled up from the ground miraculously that came from beneath a mountain, um, that was imbued with magic and rivers were goddesses and some rivers are gods. Most of them are goddesses, but yeah. some rivers were yeah. gods. Um, and, and you also find a lot of, um, you, you mentioned devas, uh, sort of fairy queens. Well, you mm. find a lot of um, regional gods and goddesses in the Celtic pantheon. Um, a really great example from my novels would be Cluda, who is the goddess of the river Clyde. 
And so she's the great example of someone who was a deity back in Langora's time, but who, when the advent of Christianity came, she was pushed underground and, um, you know, the river was just called the River Clyde. And, um, but the people remembered these beings. They talk about the day that the fairies went underground. Well, that was really, I think, what happened with the coming of Christianity. It sent the old gods underground and there was a new god that came. Like and, Bridget, for example, as well. Bridget okay. being, yeah. And there's a lot of, um, it's really interesting when you look at the Celtic saints, there's some who were old gods, I think. And then there are some who were actually, I think, very influential um, Druid figures in history. Mm. Uh, St. Maluig is one, and I'm hoping to write about him in my second book. But I think he was an actual historical figure. Um, and I think that the further back you go into prehistory, like Queen Maeve, we don't know, she might have, of Ireland, she might have been a historical queen, but she might have been a goddess of the land who's being remembered. But I love that blurring. And so I think oh, yeah. I'm hesitant to, to say just, you know, what is a fairy? Well, I think fairies are, are nature personified, like nature spirits. And when we connect with that world of fairy, what we're doing is we're connecting with um, an intelligence that comes from the natural world. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I so resonate with that, um, Signe, because I'm, I'm a pagan priest to Greek Hel uh, Hellenic polytheism, which is the, uh, the tradition that still honors the, uh, the Greek mythology, the Greco-Roman uh, ancient gods, basically, the 12 gods of Olympus and everything else. And what is at the basis of our practice and our rituals is that everything is part of God. Everything is fairy. Everything is elemental. The ancient Greek gods, for example, are elemental gods. For example, uh, right in, uh, during Easter time, we celebrated the death and rebirth, the resurrection of Adonis. And what is Adonis? It is a sprouting of nature after the, the winter. So the winter comes, nature seems dead, and then the, the first sun hits, and then Adonis just is resurrected, which was eventually, uh, it was a perfect timing for Christianity to insert Jesus and the, uh, the resurrection of Jesus. So it's that shift that you're talking about in between. So 100%, I, I find how interesting it is that all the different Pekal religions around the world had their own mythologies, their own stories, their own different names. They sometimes didn't have communication with each other, and yet they came up to the same conclusions, that nature 
is has spirit and has elemental energy and has therefore fairy, which is a wonderful way to look at the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now from your from, from your perspective right now, are there some do's and don'ts when it comes to communicating with the elementals or fairies or nature spirits? Ooh, so it's been a while since I've done my do's and don't list. <laughs> <laughs> because your perspective um, has changed so much. So I'm curious to see if your do's and don'ts have changed or if there are no don'ts. Um, well, I would say probably the most important thing is being able to quiet your mind and mm. being able to slow down um, and to not expect in the same way that we expect other things because Um, I think when you talk about, I'm not any sort of particular religion. I'm, I'm just sort of a, a a wanderer, I guess I would say. But one thing I find is I have had a lot of really strange and unexplainable experiences happened and things that, that guide me in my life that I follow without question. Mm. And those things always come, you know, not, not when we're so hungry and looking for it, but when we're still. Mm. Sometimes when we seek something, and I know when I first started off seeking um, a connection with the, the fairy realm in fairy tale, I was grieving from the loss of my father and I was so desperate and so um, unknowledgeable too. And um, I think unknowledgeable is fine, but I think you have to calm your energy. I think you have to be in a receptive state and you've got to be... Um, not plugged into your phone and you've got to create the time and the space. Another thing that's really important is ritual as far as um, doing things again and again. We had a really interesting experience where about nine years ago, um, I led a retreat to the Gla- to the to Glastonbury into the Chalice Well, yeah. and we had the women um, all sit out a few nights in the garden um, after dark and not expect anything, but just to sit and to listen. And I wondered if any of these women would be able to experience what I experienced. And it wasn't until the last night before we all left that we were all sitting in the garden and every single woman who was there saw the same lights that I'd seen. Oh, I just got the chills. (laughs) And it was so fascinating because there was even a woman who was inside and napping and someone went and got her and we thought, well, is this going to break the spell? She came back, she was able to see them and it was just, and they meant something different to everybody and everybody had a different experience. But I think it's doing something again and again. Um, In my last home, I started to write about crows a lot and, and for my novel and all of a sudden um, I noticed there were crows coming to my yard. Mm. And I've been sitting out in the garden shed writing about crows and there's a scene in the book that's particularly powerful where crows show up and um, the crows were coming and I don't know, I can't really explain it, but then I started to give them cashews and I would just throw out some, they're really shy birds. They, they don't like to feed in front of people, um, especially crows that live in suburbia because people can be so unkind to them and they mm. see them scavengers and pests when they're really quite amazing and intelligent and social animals. So I was feeding the crows and then um, just every day did it. And every time I would hear them, I went out quietly and I dropped a few cashews on the ground. And within a year, they would come every day, tell me uh-huh. they were there. I would go out and feed them. 
and they started to feed in front of me and a few feet oh, away wow. from me. And that kind of everyday enchantment is pretty powerful. But again, it comes from ritual and from going without expecting, I think is really important. And it doesn't matter so much what you offer, except for I would say, you know, in my case, I'm offering um, cashews, just being aware of the actual physical offering that you're giving. This wasn't something I was so aware of when I was writing fairy tale, but in the years that I've been traveling to a lot of different archeological sites, um, I've seen the damage that is done with the best of intentions by people who love that space. But um, so now I'm really big on, you know, don't, don't leave chocolate or things that are bad for um, an animal metabolism. It can be poisonous to animals as well. Um, things like seeds are great. Um, unsalted nuts, I only give unsalted cashews. Um, and also not leaving things like candles or notes or letters or plastic dolls or any of the things that we do at some of these sites because yeah. we feel so much like we want to be connected. You're connected just by standing there and, and connecting with the land. And that's something you can return to again and again in memory. You don't have to leave a part of your DNA there. Um, so that's something that I think is really important is think about the kind of offering. And it honestly doesn't matter what it is so long as um, you're giving it with presence and with intention and with gratitude. That is so important because we, have, we love our bells and whistles in the spiritual community. So we tend to like put like candles and like fairy dolls. And then we forget that they're actually bad for the environment and the fairies don't really resonate with that. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. And those are really great things though, you know, to use in your own space um, yeah. to create and draw some of the like, energy in. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and I know too, you know, people um, bringing, bringing their special crystals or purchasing something from the chalice well shop that you can then bring home. Um, I've done that several times and now I have a prism that hangs in my office and um, when the light comes through it, it just reminds me of Glastonbury mm. and I watched it in the fountain before I left. And so those are ways we can bring that home with us and create our own special spaces indoors with all the candles and crystals and incense that we'd like. So important, such an important distinction. Thank you. <laughs> So, uh, Signe, how has your life changed since you've written Fairy Tale? It's been 10 years now. Yeah, and you know what was funny? I was upstairs and I was realizing that actually 10 years ago on this day, I was traveling to the Isle of Man and hadn't Oh my really God. Oh my goodness. Wow. It was funny. So I know probably, you know, some viewers won't see this until September, but, you know, recording in, in early June. Um, mm. From today, I was going to have my birthday with the bikers who I would befriend, who I wrote about in the book. Um, Is today your birthday? A week from today. A week from Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. What a nice way to just celebrate that 10-year anniversary of uh, of visiting. It's amazing. My life's changed a lot. Um, It took me a long time to find, after I came home, another, what the next project was going to be. And... um, I was just, I kept reading books on the Celts and reading books on the Celts and on history and, you know, the archaeology. And my husband at the time said, like, well, you're done. When are you going to stop reading? You don't have to read those things anymore. Yeah. And I just said, I, I can't stop. And I, it was because I hadn't found um Langorith yet I hadn't found this sixth century queen who needed her story to be told Uh. um 
and that's kind of been the purpose of my life is to tell to tell her story and i think after uh, that will be three books and then after that it's it's about well who else's story needs to be told i think for a while or maybe going back to my own um because certainly you know my life changed a lot my husband and i ended up growing apart and separating and now we're divorced and both uh, had a baby who's now four and um but i think because of the way that i shifted how i see the world and how i live um you know i had a divorce but it was like a really good divorce can you say that it was a compassionate yeah. divorce um, i was able to we're able to stay really good friends and it was just a matter of you know the way that i see the world is so different from the way that i used to when we met and we just didn't align anymore and so we're just really good friends that care about each other a lot and we're just kind of going our separate ways but so that's been a big change for me um and now living out at the beach and um selling tv rights to lost queen means i'll get to expand oh that's amazing yeah we had we sold um tv rights back in october so congratulations oh my god i didn't know that okay yeah. it's very exciting and i and it means for me being able to expand storytelling in a really exciting way yes um, because i will now get to show different scenes and moments in the lost queen that i didn't get to show um and we're going to have a the budget to do it you know we'll have like an outlander sized budget hopefully that we can really um get everything historically correct and pull in the right experts and build the right sets and do all of um the technical work in order to tell the story in the right way wow where the fairies have taken you so let's talk about the the lost queen because although it's a novel and it's not a book essentially about fairies he has a connection to fairies it's basically about fairies in a different way could you tell us what that connection is could you tell us what the book is about just tease a little bit yes so it's basically the um, the lost queen is a retelling of the arthurian legend which is actually based on new scholarship that's come out in the last 25 to 30 years mm -hmm. um and it's it places um merlin as an actual historical man who we think lived back in the 6th century not in Cornwall sadly I'm sorry Cornwall and not in Wales sorry Wales <laughs> and not in not anywhere else in England but um actually in southern Scotland and um there was a man named Lilocan and Lilocan had a twin sister who I learned about actually when I was in Glastonbury um in a bookstore this is where I found the book Finding Merlin um by an author called Adam Ardrey and he was it's a non-fiction book about Lilacan and his life and who the original historical Arthur would have been um and in it there's this little line where he said and he had a twin sister named Langorath who was a queen married to a historical king and when i read that i thought it was really fascinating that there could be although we still don't even really know if Lilacan existed and yet he's known to have been the brother to someone who actually did exist in history someone who does have um dates that she actually lived we know children who were descended from her marriage scholars agree her husband was the king of strathclyde for all of these years we know what years he ruled and i thought well how strange that you know her brother has been totally fictionalized and she's been completely lost to history langorath would have been one of the most powerful queens in ancient scotland and nobody yeah. knows who she is She's remembered in one line of Glasgow folk, folk legend about a fish in a ring. That's it. 
So um, that was really what set my curiosity running. And that's what the book is about. The book tells the story of the life of Langorith and her brother, Lilikin, um, throughout the course of their entire life. So now I'm on the second book. And really to answer your question, um, the connection, the only real connection to, to fairies is the fact that um, both Langorith and her brother would have been practitioners and stalwart protectors of an older way, uh. um, pre-Christian way of seeing the world. And um, in her historical lifetime, she did actually survive uh, and live through several um, political and religious upheavals um, that took place between what they call pagans and Christians as Christianity yes. started to take root in Southern Scotland. And um, all of those instances are, are in my book. And what I particularly love about The Lost Queen is that you, it's set in that time where Christianity was taking over the old religion, which is a crucial shifting point with regards to the belief in fairies, in the elementals, in paganism, in magic. Was there a specific intention in, in talking about and researching and bringing that period in the forefront? Because it relates to that search for magic that you had lost in the past and you were looking for it. And it feels to me that it's still a continuation of your journey of refinding magic and exploring the historical um, period of time during which magic was lost. I think the real goal of the book is to, um, and, and everything I've done with fairy tale, with the lost queen is to help people remember that nature was once sacred and it wasn't just sacred to, you know, pre-Christian people. Um, early on, nature was very sacred to the early Celtic Christian church as well. There were a lot of um, really profound, and of course, Jesus, you know, even Jesus himself, you know, went out into the desert to seek wisdom. Um, what I wanted to, to draw people's attention to is the fact that I think we've forgotten that, and now we hold, we hold dominion over nature, um, yes. which is a relationship that's completely out of balance. Um, so if there's one thing that my books can do, I hope that it's that. I hope that people can see that um, pagan or Christian doesn't really matter. It's about how you relate to the land that created you, really. Um, whether you believe there was a, a deity behind how you've been created or whether you're even just um, biomatter of the earth, you still need to respect it. Mm. We're at a point in our culture where we you know, can't really afford to ignore that fact anymore that we're poisoning the planet that we live on. Um, so that's kind of the biggest mission behind my books, aside from the fact that um, I think that there has been a real shift of balance with, um, you know, this relationship between masculine and feminine. And um, I think that a lot of female voices have been su suppressed, a lot of female stories have been suppressed. And so I love being able to unearth some of those stories and share them with readers. And it feels as though when I do that, I'm able to, to bring that person back to life or at least honor their memory in a way that they deserve. I love it. And I love that it's a blend of spirituality, divine feminine with historical figures and uh, folklore, and it's all coming together. That's, that's, I think that's what I love the most about your books, like the combination, because I'm, I'm a kind of person that likes to combine, well, right mind with left mind, therefore historical research, mythology, and then spirituality. So for me, this is perfect. And I know everybody will love uh, The Lost Queen and Fairy Tale as well. Now, there's a sequel coming out, right? Yes. When is it coming out? 
Do you know <laughs> um, yet? Can you, can you announce it yet or not? Yeah, the second book will be going on sale um, next summer in the U.S. and ah. Canada. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah, so that's really exciting, and I'm working on it. It's actually due to my editor on August 1st, so I'm trying to steal every little minute. Um, <laughs> my books are, my manuscripts are usually about 600 pages. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a lot of writing. A um, lot of writing. And a lot of research, too, because yes. I've got real historical events and battles and people. So, um, you know, although there are some sort of fantastical elements, most of these books, um, any of the magic, I try to keep it in relation to um, how it was actually perceived. You know, it's like back then people believed that curses held power. Um, so I think it's really funny that if you then show in a book that's pre-Christian a curse holding power, your novel is considered fantasy. Whereas if you show a prayer working in a Christian historical um, novel, it's still considered historical fiction. Wow. So that's something that I actually feel really, really um, strongly about my work. I don't like my books to be called fantasy because actually they're not. Um, I've had in my own life things happen that I can't explain and that doesn't mean that it, it wasn't real. Mm. So um, in order to make sure to protect my reputation as a historical author, I have to put the time in to make sure that all of my details and um, dates are are historically accurate. Mm. And uh, how about the, um, the TV show? Do we know mm -hmm. when it's coming out or is it still in like early production? Yeah, we're still very early stages. Okay. Um, but I think that's probably a good thing because um, right now I'm hoping to just get these manuscripts done. Yeah. I think that Makes it's sense. a scary thing what happens once um, a lot of people start finding your work. It's amazing because you had this thing that was in your brain and obsessed you and then it's somehow you put it into this book and then you hit it in someone else's brain and it's just a very strange thing, I would say, <laughs> literary magic. But um, it's also when you invite the world into your world in that way, it can be really, it can be really um, like a total mind fuck in a way, you know? Yeah, so. I can't wait, I can't wait until it all flourishes. I'm so excited for it. And, and Signe, finally, where can people uh, connect, connect with you? What, so, what's the best um, platform? I have my website is just signipike.com. And then um, I'm also pretty active on Facebook. I have a Facebook author page, which has been around for now 12 years or something. So it's a really great community. And there's a lot of people on there who um, have been with me from the very first days of researching fairy tale, which is awesome. Um, it's a great community of people and I'm determined to keep it that way. Um, and then I have a little Twitter and Instagram. And Instagram is kind of where I share a lot of pictures of my son. So that's just kind of... <laughs> I love them. <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of, um, you know, bookstagrammers and Instagram is becoming really popular um, with readers, which is great. I just hope they understand that I will share historical stuff, but that's also the place where I just like to post pictures of Asa, so. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Signe, thank you so much for being on the Lead Hub Lightworker podcast. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for all you're doing, for all you've put out into the world. And thank you for guiding our path to enchantment and magic. Thank you for listening to the Lit Up Lightworker podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at George Lizos to grab your free Lightworker survival guide and catch the next live episode.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.